Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. series uh, on essentially the the Beatitudes, these these blessed statements, blessed are those statements that Jesus made at kind of at the very beginning of kind of his, honestly, his most famous sermon. And, and so in that, this is kind of the introductory to what was a much longer sermon that hopefully even I will preach this morning. And and I wanted to, before we get into the statement, the blessed statement or the happiness statement this morning, I wanted to kind of just share a little bit about these, these B-attitude statements and, and kind of what they meant. And, and so uh, the B-attitude statements were these, these kind of Jesus' attempt to help his listeners understand what he was calling them to in terms of their posture. In terms of their posture. So, so this was a lot less uh, uh, about what they were doing and even more about what he was calling them to be, right? The be attitudes, okay? And so, uh, and, and for a second, I want you to imagine that, that actually Jesus preached this, and I've said this a few times already in the series, Jesus preached this sermon outside, believe it or not. They didn't have a, a, a building there for him. He preached on the side of a hill, and people had followed him there. And, and so in a way... Uh, we get kind of an experience like that this morning. He also preached it within eyeshot of the Sea of Galilee, which likely was the backdrop for Jesus that morning. I'm not saying I'm Jesus this morning, but but in a sense, what I'm hoping for is that you could imagine, although I did pray for sunlight, and so you're welcome. Anyways, I'm hoping that you can get a sense of what it might have been like for those listeners to sit on the side of that hill. And to experience this message from Jesus. When I listen to this message and when I read this message myself, um, I like to imagine and, and remember that actually as Jesus spoke, he spoke to real life people, that he spoke to people that were right in front of him. And so I almost, in a sense, w- like to imagine that Jesus was making eye contact with people that he was speaking to. As he was making eye contact, if you've if you've been following along, he was making eye contact with, with people struggling with different things. So imagine Jesus making eye contact with somebody who is financially struggling. Right? Imagine he's making eye contact with somebody who is experiencing mourning and loss in their life and in their story. Eye contact with somebody who is working towards justice. Someone, someone who knew he was being merciful or that, that someone needed to experience mercy. Right? To somebody who had been humbled or was working towards trying to be humble. On my vacation, I, I traveled out to Saskatchewan. And, and uh, I don't know if you knew this, but in, in 2019, uh, my brother-in-law and I, we won the Horseshoe Championships at Crystal Lake, uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah, 
And uh, so we've been training for two years, essentially ready to go back and, and take, take the championship again this year in, in 2021. And it was extremely, extremely humbling to get knocked out in the first round after training. It was very, very humbling. And so I, I've been still working through that. And even this morning when we were getting ready, somebody, somebody rubbed it in uh, and, and reminded me of this humbling experience, right? So Jesus was talking to people just like me, right, who, who lost the Horseshoe Championship and, and were experiencing humility, right? Jesus was also speaking to somebody who was being very much challenged by the motivations of their heart, who was, who was experiencing like that work that has to go on inside of us when we realize that maybe our motives aren't always 100% pure, right? And maybe more motivated on ourselves, and, right? And, and Jesus was doing this not because these experiences, these emotions, these feelings were wrong. I want you to hear that. He was doing them because Jesus knew and believed that these feelings and these things were normal. These were actually normal parts of life. And so, so he was talking to, in a sense, normal people. He was engaging real-life people in real-life situations, people just like you and I. His encouragement to them was ultimately to say, keep going. Keep going, have, have hope. And know that God the Father is in all of these things. Each of these beatitude statements, these blessed statements, were meant to give us hope. Give you a sense of hope. To know that Jesus was with you. Right? And so he says things after these, these things. He says things like, for you will be comfort, comforted. For you will inherit the kingdom of God. For you will be satisfied. For you, for you will be shown mercy. For you will see and experience God. What that was about. It wasn't just about the first part. The blessed part. But it was the second part of those statements that were equally important as he, as he, as he encouraged these quite normal people like you and I to carry on, to, to keep pushing on. Now this morning, and, and, and actually here's, here's what's interesting also, is the statements get harder and harder. I, I don't know if you've noticed that, but, but the statements progressively get more and more challenging to the individuals who are listening. And I actually really do think that this morning, one of the most challenging statements and most relevant statements for our time. I, I do hope, and I do hope that you will be Gracious towards me, as I as I may say some things this morning that are particularly hard to hear, that are particularly hard for you, maybe in your life and your story, to hear. The statement for this morning is from Matthew, chapter five, verses nine. It goes like this: It says, "Blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God." Blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now, I got to tell you, not a week has gone by. Not a week has gone by where I find either myself or I find myself listening to somebody in the last 20 months who has been struggling in the area of peace and making peace. Right? And I confess to you that often, often for me in the last year and a half, 
I wondered if it's going to be possible again. Not just for us as uh, people in our country, our church, or our city, but for me in my own heart. There have been several times, actually I forgot that as a follower of Christ, I'm called to be a peacemaker. I have forgotten that. And I've lived out a kind of a different posture. And I, uh, So I want to say that, that this morning I don't just come here to tell you how you should be, but I also want to talk to you about how I want to be. And I haven't always been good at this. But yet it is the thing that Jesus seems to be putting in front of us. And, and, but before I get to peacemakers, I, I want to just clarify a couple things, okay? First of all, um, I think that working towards peace um, doesn't mean working towards total agreement. I, I, wanna, I want you to hear that. That actually being peacemakers doesn't mean that we totally agree on everything. In fact, I think that the world would be a pretty boring place if we all agreed all the time. I actually would probably question whether we were growing, a growing people in our faith, but also in our, our emotional, relational lives with others and all those areas. I actually don't think that we would grow if the goal was always to be universally in total agreement. Do you hear what I'm saying? You just think about it to see your family. And, and I'm assuming that some of you have come from a family or in one right now. So, so hopefully this applies to you. But, but without having to work towards peace in your family, how would you truly know you loved each other? Think about it. Without having to work towards peace in your family, how would you know that you truly love each other? practical reality is that our love for each other is experienced when we make allowances for each other. It's a practical way that our love for each other is demonstrated as we make allowances for each other. When we listen to each other, it's, it's actually the practical way. Sure, we can give hugs. And we, can, we can even look somebody in the eye and always encourage them on towards, towards something. We can even always, get this, we can always nod our head in agreement when somebody says something, you know, ironically quite stupid. Right? Just agree. And we can make an assumption that that's peacemaking. Right? But, but is it always? Is it always to just nod your head and agree? Is it always a loving act? Right, to just allow that to kind of carry on? Well, I, I don't actually think so. So conflict, or, or rather, I'm going to put it like this, non-peace. Here's, here's what, what, conflict or non-peace arises when we give in to our desire to compete. Or when our fear or selfishness takes the place of our love. I'll repeat it. When we, if I can find it on my notes, I put these glasses on because the sun was so bright and they're these tinged yellow. And now I can't see what's highlighted on my iPad here. It's all the conflict or rather non-peace arises when we, um, when we give in to our desire to compete. 
or when our fear or selfishness takes over and takes the place of our love and confidence in him. Here's the thing. Um, I'm not so sure that total agreement is ever going to be a real thing. I'm not sure that total agreement is ever going to be a real thing. I'm not even so sure that heaven will be a place of total agreement. Of total agreement. I'm not so sure. But I do believe, I do believe this. This might sound utopic to some of you, but, but I actually do believe that unity is a thing. That unity is a thing, and, 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 and that coming together under uh, um, who we have in common, that coming together under who we have in common, under God, under Christ, is a thing. That we can have unity because we have a God who we believe deeply loves us, regardless of some of our opinions and different things that go on, like, like Steve was sharing this morning, right? You got some, you got some thoughts. You got some thoughts about things. And it's hard to hear other people's thoughts. And, 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 and to understand those things together. And, and Steve's not alone. We've all been there this, in this past year. And uh, so what does it look like for us to, to live towards unity, towards being peacemakers, but, but not always believing that we have to believe one thing always. But yet, we can follow Christ together under one God. What does that look like for us? Eugene Peterson uh, translates, and I kind of like it in, in Matthew 5, 9. He translates this beatitude like this. He says, you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Show people how to cooperate, how not to compete and how not to fight. And when we look at the culture, when we look at the culture of Jesus' day, uh, there were people struggling with so many questions. So many questions. We, we actually forget this. These were a struggling people. They had a ton of questions about God, about how God worked, about how he operated, what, what he was looking for in them. I'm just curious, just raise your hand. Like, anyone here feel like you've been wondering that? So two, okay, that's great. Two of you. Uh, Only two of you are wondering that. That's really good. The rest are either completely got it all figured out or just realized that I'm preaching and you should listen to what I'm saying. This this is going to be new again as we come back. uh, That... that you're used to sitting on your couch, and when I ask you a question, you don't have to physically respond. You just, you know, another sip of your coffee. But, but now, actually, you're, you're among humans again, and I'm looking for some sort of interaction that you're still paying attention. Okay, so there you go. Now I've got your attention. You laugh a little bit. So, okay, right, so for those of you at home, I hope you raise your hand, you know, practice up for September 12th. All right? So... <laughs> Right, any of you asking questions like that? There we go. I know you are. Some of you have even told me you are. <laughs> Anyways, right? So, so we have to think about that. These people were trying to figure out what God expected of them. They were trying to figure out 
what it meant to be a part of the family of God. They were trying to figure out and working through if they were parts of the family of God. All of these significant kind of questions were kind of going on with them. It was a significant struggle for them. I think that they were even asking questions if they could lose their place in the family of God. And actually, I, I'm going to pose that question to us. I think that for some of us, we would say, you can't lose your, your place in the family of God. But I would say also that our actions may not always prove that out. That actually our actions demonstrate what we believe to be really true about God and what we believe about our place in this, in this kingdom of God. In their time, they discussed the law often because they, they saw it as a way to find peace with God and peace with others. So they, they spent a good time, portion of their time, discussing and arguing the law, which we talked about a little bit last week. I'm not going to fully get into it. And so, and so in walks Jesus, right, into their story, into their discussions about the law. Let's think about that. Discussed the law, what's right, what's wrong. They wrestled it out, they argued it out, they, all of those things. And in walks the Son of God into that space. In a sense, right, not in a sense, but actually in real life, actually God literally walked into their discussion about the law and about what it meant to be a part of the family of God. And so Jesus comes into that place and, and, and he brings peace and he starts to show them through the demonstration of his mastery over the law or his love for them. He had both. But it was not his mastery over the law that began to change and shift their minds and their hearts. It was his deep, compassionate love for them. He begins to show them a path towards God. He begins to show them Ultimately, that they were already a part of the family of God. That they already fit in the family of God. So I was thinking about this a little bit. I was, I was thinking, I wonder, back to the theme on peace, I wonder, do you think that they experienced peace while he was among them? Let's think about that for a second. Do you think, that the teachers of religious law and those who were there discussing and arguing out the law experienced true peace when Jesus entered in? I don't think so. To be honest with you, I think that Jesus came into their discussions about the law, in, and he came in, in a sense, in a peaceful way, but I don't think that the majority of the people in those discussions experienced this, like, calming peace. I think Jesus made them very, very unsettled. Very, very uncomfortable. I think like almost to the point where maybe possibly some of them decided that they should try to get rid of him. That's how uncomfortable. <laughs> Let's think about that. Just how uncomfortable it must have been to have God Join them in the midst of these discussions 
about who is in and who is out and who is right and who is wrong. Right? It's, a, it's an interesting kind of a deal. Right? The change that Jesus was challenging them towards was hard. The grace that he was teaching them required them to stop competing and fighting for their right to be in the family of God. And that's what they were arguing. To be very clear, that's what they were arguing about. Right? Competing and fighting for their right to be in the family and to simply accept the pure love that he was offering. This grace was hard to take. It shouldn't have been, but it really was hard to, hard to take. Because it represented a change. It represented a change in the way that they understood not only their daily life, but but also what they believed to be true about what it meant for their place in the family of God. Jesus brings into the midst a challenge for them to really experience true change. Right? That pure of heart change that we talked about last week, that it wasn't an external way, thing that happened and worked its way in, but that actually through the life of Jesus, it was a purity of heart that started internally and worked its way out. And people, we, we don't like change very much. It's actually not really something that we're overly comfortable. I read a quote this week. It says, people don't fear change. It's interesting. People don't fear change. They fear loss. People don't fear change. They fear loss. And the problem is that they usually can't distinguish between the two. The problem is that we can't distinguish between the two. And so, so I, this is what I want, want you to think about. If that is true, then perhaps the next time you get stressed out about an impending change, maybe the question to ask yourself might be this. What do I think I might lose? Think about that. What do you think you might lose? reverse way of asking a question about change. And I think it's an important one for us to ask. And do it in our homes, with our spouses, with our kids. We can do it in our church, in our community, in our province, and even in our country. Right? In Jesus' context, though, that they were worried that, that if this grace was free, if this grace was free and that, that people that, that was free, then all people could be considered holy. This was, this was actually what they were having a hard time with. If the grace of God was really true, then all people could be considered holy. And if all people were holy, then no one was superior to anyone else. Power would be lost. Power would be lost. Think about that. And it wasn't just the power of the religious leaders over the people. It wasn't just about that. But, but it was rather, it was the sense that, that, that it would be impossible to determine who is better than the other. Who was more righteous than the other. And, and it played out then into their, into their streets and into their towns. Right? And it's still true. It's still actually true. That if God's grace is real, if God's love is universal, then there is no longer a need for drawing lines between 
Jews or Gentiles, or slave or free, or women or men, or vaxxers or anti-vaxxers, or masters or anti-masters, or anything else that we want to add in there. No longer could those lines be drawn. Right? This list could go on and on. For each of you, wherever you're at, and whatever it is that you're thinking about, the list could go on and on. Right? I find it interesting that Jesus connects here peacemaking with being a child of God. Jesus connected the two. And I think he was doing it very intentionally. I think it was quite on purpose. It's as if he sees the posture of peacemaking as a marker of a child of God and as a way to show others that you see and how you see yourself. That actually being a peacemaker is a way of showing others that you believe truly deep inside of you that you are a child of God. That you trust that God can be this great father. That you belong to him. It's, it's actually um, been my experience too that peacemakers, that peacemaking is the primary way that others outside of family of God, if that's the language we want to use, that others who do not know who this loving God is yet experience him as we demonstrate peace in their culture and community. In other words, you want to be a great evangelist? Work on being a great peacemaker. Work on helping your community and those around you to work towards cooperation we know who we are and whose we are, making peace seems so much easier and so much more important also. 1 John 1 says this, see the great love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are. That is who we are. We are family. And I think that, that working towards peace is easier when we see ourselves as family, when we see ourselves as equal. Right? I remind my, my kids every once in a while that just because you're the oldest sibling doesn't mean that the youngest sibling is less important. Or vice versa. Right? Think about that. We are equal because we are all part of this family. Being a peacemaker can be our goal when we see ourselves as children of God. Regardless of the outcome, we can know that we are held in the arms of God. That we are children of God. Okay? Quick little metaphor. It's not really a metaphor. It's real life. Maybe you've experienced it. I thought it would be kind of fun to do this. But have you ever watched a few kids um, uh, get in a fight? You ever watch that play out in front of you, a couple of little, little guys? Okay, so here's what I see. I'm going to just play it out for you. I think this is uh, essentially five steps to what you're going to see. Okay, five steps. First step is this. Uh, there's some sort of a selfish emotion that, that, that takes place. Uh, you know, like uh, these are my toys. Uh, this is my pretend world. And you're going to conform to it. Step one. Okay, that's step one. Step two, there's an act of aggression. Now, whether it is in the form of self-defense or self-control, sometimes words, sometimes more than words, there is an act of aggression. Third, third step, 
uh, comes the hurt. Now, in most cases, we're really hoping it's not physical hurt, but in every case, feelings are hurt. Right? Just think about that. Every single case, feelings are hurt. I have consoled my child while being poked like this, and there's no way there's some physical pain that's taking place, and yet the the body language and the screaming and the wailing that takes place following that is is out of proportion. Must have something to do with feelings, right? Kids experience feelings like a real thing, right? I'm going to come back to that. Just stay tuned. And the fifth, an apology comes. You know, oh, actually, sorry, I, I didn't do fourth. Fourth, uh, there's usually some, some time apart, a little bit of time apart. And it's usually crazy uh, with kids especially, but it's a lot shorter than you would think. And usually it only takes them a few seconds to go away and realize how much they want to play and be a part of whatever it is that they were doing. And, uh, and so they reflect and they come back. And then the fifth is the apology. Okay? And or sometimes, and this is carefully worded language, sometimes a holy forgetting. There's an apology or a, or a holy forgetting that this seems to happen mysteriously between these two people. Okay? Okay. I am certain there are many variations to that scenario, but I'm pretty sure those five things are there. Those five things are there. Right? Any way that we look at peacemaking, even in this simple example, is about making an allowance for the other. It's about listening, paying attention, and then making the active steps to physically do that in whatever sh way, shape, or form that looks. I think that one of the hard facts um, is that often as adults, we play this out. And sure, maybe, maybe it looks a little bit different. And I think ultimately, oftentimes, we as adults, we refuse to admit that actually our feelings suck. to admit that, that our feelings have been hurt. Sadly, I think adults take longer periods apart. We need longer periods apart, and sometimes we take that longer period apart, uh, apart so long that we begin to convince ourselves that we don't actually need to have those other people in our lives. And we never play out the remaining part of the steps. We never play out those remaining I'm gonna kind of. I'm gonna do a little weird thing. I, I'm gonna pause for kind of a second. And as I pause, I'm gonna list off just a couple of questions. And I really would like you to just give some thought to your own life of peacemaking. My guess is that there's themes. You've learned a particular pattern of what it means to be a peacemaker, or maybe not at all. So I do want to just give us a chance to kind of reflect for a second. So here's a, as you think about this, I'm going to give at least five seconds in between each question for you to think about, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how long I can handle the awkward silence. How do these patterns play out in your life of peacemaking and conflict?
Are you working towards peace with others or victory over others? Do you pause to remind yourself to make room for others? Did you, in those three questions, feel defensive or have an urge to just disagree with the question itself? Or maybe decide that Evan should have. <laughs> All of these things, they, they tell us something about how God is calling us and teaching us and training us or growing in us a desire to be his followers of Christ. And there's so many places in us and in our culture to create conflict. So many places. We could disagree as a country, as a province, as a city, as a church, we can disagree on our streets, and we can disagree in our homes, at our jobs. To be honest with you, everywhere you go, you can be a peacemaker or a person who creates conflict. Remember conflict? Creating conflict, sometimes it needs to happen. But it's how we grow. It's how we grow. Because we've been called the children of God, we are challenged always to be influencers towards peace. Doesn't mean we always agree. It just means we do our very, very best challenge each other in peaceful with a peaceful posture knowing at the end of the day we are all children of God created in his image and his likeness and we all bear the spirit of God peace is found when we accept that God can be in control that God can sustain us and that he gets to dish out his grace lavishly upon all those he chooses, which incidentally he has said is to all. Right? Friends, let's trust that we are children of God, that you are a child of God. Let us trust that he knows us so well and still chooses to love us all. Let us be people secure in knowing who we are, and that we are called to be peacemakers of peace. Amen? Let me pray. God, thank you for the gift of your presence among us. Thank you that you did not just leave your world and your people to argue over who was in or who was out, over who was right or who was wrong, or who was loved more and who was loved less. 
but that you literally entered into the discussion and the conversation around us and demonstrated your great love to us through your son, Jesus. Would you live that love out before us? We are grateful for that. God, may you remind us in the next opportunity we have to make peace, to create conflict, that we are your children. And may you love us each, regardless of where we come at this, on this topic today. Be with us as we go from this place out into this world you have given us as peacemakers, as children of God. You stand and receive the benediction. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to be shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give his great gifts of peacemaking to you as you go from this place, knowing that you are children of God. Amen? Thank you so much uh, for joining us.